That was awesome. How good is our worship team? Like, come on, they're incredible. Man. Well, hey, before you take your seat, give your neighbor a fist bump, a high five, a wave, whatever you feel comfortable with. Let them know they're looking good here this morning. Because you are. And uh, you guys may be seated here in the house. Now, you're probably asking the same question I'm asking. Why is this guy on stage again? I know I'm not Pastor Brent. But Pastor Brent is actually on a vacation. He's enjoying some much-needed time with his family. Uh, they're just soaking it up, literally soaking it up on the beach. And, uh, yeah, I'm a little jealous. But we love you, Pastor Brent. And, uh, yeah, so he's with his family. Now, today we did have... Uh, we, we plan to have Pastor Greg and Pastor Faith uh, speaking here today, but they were recently exposed uh, to COVID. And so Pastor Brent, you know, obviously said, hey, stay home, stay safe. So we can, we should uh, be in prayer for them, but also we want everyone uh, to be safe in the house. How, so that doesn't mean, though, that, you know, it's not going to be a great day. Okay. It's still going to be an awesome day. Who believes that? Come on. It's going to be an incredible day. And, uh, you know, Pastor Brent made a call to one of his mentors and someone who's on our church board, Pastor Dustin Woodward. Now, if you heard him speak, I mean, you walked away just like your, your, your head's just, yeah, it's just going all kinds of directions because he's incredible. He's an amazing communicator and he's just a thinker. And it's cool because every time I listen to him, I just get nuggets of truth and just like I'm just constantly writing stuff down. And so uh, he reached out to him and uh, said if we could show a video. They're in a series called Here Comes a Dreamer. And there's a message called Living Out the God Dream. And uh, it's just really an amazing message. So Pastor Brent was like, hey, can we show that here this Sunday morning? And he was just he was just happy and honored that we would be able to show this video. So if we could, can we just all stand up to our feet here today? We want to honor Pastor Dustin. Even though it's a video, we want to honor him just in the same way. So can we give it up for uh, Pastor Dustin all the way from Citizen Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico? Come on, let's give it up. You know, today, whether you're here watching online or in Maui, we've all heard the phrase living the dream. I'm just living the dream. Most of the time we see this phrase when we're stuck at home and you're scrolling through social media and you see someone's photo of the beach, their feet are propped up on the beach chair and it's the ocean in the background. You're at work, you're working away, typing on a keyboard and they're on a beach and they say living the dream. Anybody? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? And we say that a lot, just living the dream, living the dream. Well, have you ever stopped and thought and asked yourself, what is the dream? What is it? Is living the dream a vacation? Because we all know that when you go on a vacation, you might have fun. But when you get back from vacation, looking back on the vacation is so much cooler than when you were actually there. Do you guys know that? It's like a disease. You can't fully take in and enjoy a vacation. Two months down the road, you're looking back on it, wishing you were back. Anytime there's something in this world that says, this is the dream, if you attain it, if you get it, it will fully and finally satisfy you. Once we do get it, we're actually left more empty than when we started because the thing that promised you fulfillment did not do what it promised you it would do. And so what is living the dream? You look at the dream, the American dream in the West, in our country, what is it? You're born, you go to school, elementary school, middle school, high school, 
Living the dream is maybe going to college, graduating from college, and living the dream is getting the job of your dreams. And you get the job of your dreams, and although you might enjoy it, it's still the daily grind of a job. And then the next dream after your career is the dream of retirement. And then you retire, and then the next dream is heaven? I don't know. So we start living this dream, and we're caught in this vortex of this mirage, this illusion of what is a dream. Because this life always has us grasping and dreaming of what's next. But if it's not a God dream, it will always leave you wanting. It'll always leave you wanting. I think it's time for all of us here, all of us watching online, and all of us in Maui. I think it's time right now with where we are in society, where we are in life. I think it's time that believers need to dream again. We need to get a hold of a God dream and dream of something bigger than ourselves. Do you guys agree with that today? I know I'm jumping in, but I need you guys to be awake and excited. It's not even a million degrees here in Albuquerque today. It's going to be a good day even when you leave, so you can be excited here right now. So I think it's time that we dream again and we dream big. So I'm going to talk in this series. We're going to go for six weeks, and we're going to go through this series, and we're going to look at what it really means to have a God dream. Now, I'm going to tell you today what I'm not going to say in this series is that God is re requiring or God is promising you a life of prominence. But what I am telling you is that God is calling you to a life of significance. We are all called by God to live a significant life. But where the dream gets muddy and ungodly is we start thinking that God wants me to be at the top of some totem pole, the top of an organization. God has called me to be prominent. No, he doesn't. Not necessarily. But God always calls you to be significant. Where you are in your world, your school, your job, with your family, he has placed a life of significance in you. And I say this a lot, but I really want you to get this at the beginning of this series. There is no one, I don't, I, honestly, it doesn't matter what the circumstances were at your birth or what brought you into this world. There is no one who is an accident who is living and breathing in this world. No one has ever lived who is an accident. And if that's the truth, we're clapping. But if that's the truth, then we need to live our lives as if it were true and to live our lives on purpose if we aren't an accident. And God has a purpose for you. He has a God dream for you. He has a God dream. I've titled my sermon today, Living the God Dream. Living the God Dream. At some point, we have to get to this place in our lives where we look around and we think, why was I put on this earth? We have to ask ourselves that question. Why am I here? What in the world is all this about? What am I here for? To live and die? To take up space? What am I here for? And when you really start thinking about that, there's only one answer. It's God placed you here for such a time as this. So over the course of this series, we're going to be in one story, primarily in the book of Genesis. And you probably guessed it if you're familiar with dreams in the Bible. But there was a young man in Genesis toward the end of the book where God gives this young man named Joseph a dream. 
And so for the next six weeks, what we're going to look at is God gave Joseph, not a Joseph dream. He gave him a God dream. We're going to look at how Joseph stewarded this dream. We're going to look at what he did well and what he did bad. We're going to look at the ups and we're going to look at the downs. We're going to look next week is when his brothers throw him into a pit because they're jealous of his God dream. We're going to look when he's in a situation where he is stewarding someone else's home, someone else's possessions. Have you ever wondered what it looked like to be godly in a work environment where you weren't the boss, you weren't at the top, and it was actually someone else's, someone else's company, someone else's, uh, they owned it, and you're in there stewarding it? Well, God watches all of that, and it's all part of a God dream. Joseph was misinterpreted. He was falsely accused. He went to prison. But what we find in this story, and I'm giving you all the spoilers because you got to know the end. And in order to really appreciate the middle, Joseph, over years and years and years, from the time he was 17 years old when God gave him this dream, all the way through his life, finally, somehow in Egypt, through all these circumstances, which we'll show you, he rises up through the ranks of Egyptian leadership to the second in command of all of Egypt. And actually God gives him the answer to a famine in the land and nations are saved. The future of Israel is saved. The bloodline of Christ is saved because Joseph followed the God dream. And so I think this story is an amazing blueprint. I know he's a a Bible hero, but Joseph, when you actually look at his life, was just a normal everyday guy who made mistakes and had ups and downs. It's a blueprint for us to look at. How do we receive a God dream? How do I steward it? How do I hang on to it? How do I believe God for it? And what does it look like when it takes full, um, when it comes to pass in my life? What does it look like? So I want to read to you Genesis 37, starting in verse two. And this is a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I want you to hang in. And this is where we're going to be today. The beginning of the story, Genesis 37, starting in verse two. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Jacob is the father of Joseph. So Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, I want to keep reading, but this is important, and I'll come back to it later. So what do we find out here? Joseph is just like every other little brother or little sibling. He tattles. So they're doing something wrong, and Joseph comes in and brings a bad report about them. If there's one thing, I I think tattletale people, kids, adults, 80-year-olds, and 8-year-olds, it annoys me. Anybody else? I I can't handle the tattletale. They did this, and they did that. I'm like, who cares? Like, once you start tattling, I don't even care anymore. Anyway, so Joseph's tattling. So you already know there's some friction there in his family. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any. Now, Israel being Jacob, well, that's another story, but Israel is Jacob. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. There's a lot of hate going around. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Such a little brother thing to do, right? He said to his brothers, do you, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. Do you feel this hate? 
compounding and building because of his dream and what he had said. Then in verse nine, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars, he had 11 older brothers, were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So right off the bat, and I'm going to hit this in a few minutes, we see the first step in how to not steward well a dream that God gives you. The worst thing you can ever do the moment God gives you a dream of significance is to run to people who might be in a season of insecurity and tell them how significant God has called you to be in the future. The worst thing you could do. And so what Joseph is experiencing here as a 17-year-old is spiritual immaturity, but God still keeps the dream in place. I'm going to skip down a little bit and show the brother's reaction. And so they're, they're planning and scheming. The hate has built to a boiling point. And in verse 18 of uh, the same chapter, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, so they're working out in the field, tending the flocks, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. This is escalating quickly. He, and then they said, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns or wells. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So Joseph tells his family his dreams. The dreams obviously mean that one day his family will bow down to him. You can imagine being 17 and that God dream comes. And that's kind of exciting as a 17 year old. Uh, your older siblings have probably bullied you most of your life. And you're running up to them saying, hey, but one day you're going to bow down to me. But the, to show you the seriousness of, the, of this, though, the envy and jealousy and hatred arose to a point where they actually planned to kill him, planned to kill him. And this verse actually leads us into next week. So I won't touch on that very much more. But that phrase, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. I don't know about you, but whether people say it or God's thinking it, that's what I want people to say. Not necessarily an envy, but I want people to say about me and I want people to say about you and I want people to say about our church. Whenever we come on the scene, I want people to look at us and say, there comes the dreamer. They've heard from God. God wants to do something significant in their life. Here comes the dreamer. Are you dreaming? God dreams. Have you given up on a dream that God has given you? One thing I want to pull out from this story for the context of today is the fact that Joseph was favored. Uh, this, this passage tells us that his father, Jacob, or Israel, gives him a coat of many colors. Back then, color was hard to find in fabric. It was hard to make. And so when you got a coat of many colors, it was a symbol of favor. And, and Jacob doesn't even hide it. He's like, yeah, this is my favorite son. Now, most parents have favorites in different seasons, and whenever you're a kid and you say, who's your favorite, and your parent says, we have no favorites. They may not generally, but in that moment, they do. They're lying to you. Because seasonally, we have favorites. And I'll give you a hint, kids, if you're teenagers in here. You want to know who the favorite is in this season? The one obeying, the one obeying, the one telling the truth, and the one who's respectful. It's super simple. You want to be the favorite? Be good. Be good. Okay, there you, that's all. I'll even give them a coat of many colors, whatever. So the, the, the other brothers, I mean, they're seeing this coat of many colors. This is just a recipe for disaster. 
And when all of this favor is happening, that's the time when God gives this God dream and all of this stuff is happening, but he was favored. And the passage says he was favored because Jacob had Joseph in his old age. What does that mean? I want to tell you the backstory of this story because it will make the story of Joseph's dream way more significant. If you rewind years and years and years earlier, when Jacob was actually young, you'll remember the story where Jacob steals the birthright from his brother Esau, his older brother Esau. Jacob's father is Isaac. Who is Isaac's father? Abraham. I talked about Abraham a few weeks ago. God introduces himself in the Old Testament as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is young. Esau comes out of the womb first. They're actually twins. And so Esau has the birthright, the favor of God, the blessing of God. One day Isaac will give it to Esau. But Jacob tricks Esau and tricks his father. It's a long, really cool, crazy story. He tricks them in deceit and takes the birthright and blessing. So after he takes this blessing, Esau promises Jacob that he would hunt him down and kill him because of what he's done. So Jacob goes on the run, like all of us would if someone says, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. So Jacob goes on the run and he goes to his uncle's house. Everybody say Laban. All right, you're with me. He goes to his uncle's house, Laban, he starts working. And he notices that his uncle has two daughters. The youngest daughter, her name is Rachel, and the Bible describes her as beautiful. She's the younger daughter. And so I know this is like, you know, it's his uncle, which means Rachel and and his cousin. So like ancient Israel and present day Arkansas are very similar. So we've got all kinds of stuff going on. So Jacob, he sees Rachel and she's ridiculously, no offense, if you're watching online from Arkansas, I didn't mean it, didn't mean it, okay. So, So then though, He also notices that Laban has an older daughter named Leah. The Bible calls Leah weak-eyed or weary-eyed. It doesn't mean something's wrong with her eyes. It means something will be wrong with your eyes when you look at her, legitimately. The Bible, this is the only time in the entire Bible where the Bible was politically correct. It was being soft because it's saying Rachel was beautiful and Leah was not. And this is actually an important part of the story. Because Jacob goes to Laban and says, I want to, I want to marry Rachel. What do I need to do to take your daughter's hand in marriage? And Laban says, you're going to work for me seven years in the fields. After seven years, he's careful with his wording. I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. Seven years. Guys, girls, actually, I want you to listen to me. If you're a teenager, you're single, young adult, he made Jacob work for seven years to get her. Some of you girls don't make guys work for seven minutes. I think guys have to work a whole lot harder to earn you. Would you agree? And guys, just come on, work harder. Okay, so after seven years, he goes to his uncle Laban and says, Uncle Laban, it's been seven years. Can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? So they have the wedding. There's a very thick veil back then uh, that goes over the bride's face. They do the ceremony. They go into the tent afterwards. It's dark and they go into the tent for obvious reasons. I'm keeping this PG-13. They go into the tent. They sleep together. The next morning when the light comes in, Jacob is shocked to find out that he had married and slept with Leah. How did this happen? You're probably looking at this going, how in the world do you sleep with someone that you don't know? Some of you know a lot about that. Okay, so, and we got to deal with that. 
Guys, I'm sorry. It's just one of those mornings. You can appreciate that, right? Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> this would be a bad time to get angry and leave. Okay, so, <laughs> so he's shocked and he's mad and he goes to Laban. Why did you do this? He said, well, because my daughter, older daughter, is so ugly, I'm nervous that she would never get married. So you married her. But if you work another seven years, I'll let you marry Rachel. 14 years he works for Rachel. 14 years. If you work 14 years for someone, you're going to appreciate them for the rest of your life. So what we end up finding out is Joseph is the child of Jacob's beloved Rachel. The other sons are born of Leah. So when we see this favor of Jacob coming on to Joseph, we have to know the backstory. It's not just Jacob woke up one day and said, you're my favorite. There's history there. Joseph came from Rachel. He was the promised child, and he gives him the coat of many colors. And that sets the stage for today and for this series, Here Comes the Dreamer. But what I want to talk about for a couple minutes is the difference between a God dream and a good dream, okay? And this is going to come up on the screen, but a good dream is something you choose. A God dream chooses you. Now, it's very important to understand that God does not work for us, and he's not a support system for my dream. God is not your support system. You're his support system. I don't choose a God dream. I choose a good dream. God dreams choose me. A good dream has me as the main character, and a God dream has God as the main character. A good dream sees me rising up into the ranks at work and people doing this and clapping and you're so great and you're being exalted. A God dream says, the less I become, the more God can become in this story. He's the main character and he's the hero. I am not the hero, he is. I am weak compared to God and in my weakness comes his strength. So today I wanna make it very clear, I'm not talking about a good dream. I'm not talking about your talent or your skill set, or your gifting. I'm talking about your purpose, what you use those things for. That's what I'm talking about. So today I want to go through quickly three characteristics of a God dream to set the series up. The first characteristic is this. A God dream will be God-sized. A God dream will be God-sized. We should want a dream so big that if God doesn't show up, it won't happen. That's the kind of dream I'm talking about. When God gives you a God dream, it surprises you and it shocks you. It feels impossible because it is impossible. If you can do it in your own strength, it's not a God dream. It's a good dream. It should take something supernatural to come to pass. That's how you know it's a God dream. Genesis 37, five through seven and verse nine again says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Then in verse nine, then he had another dream and told it, told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, when you think of their current scenario and circumstances, this dream is impossible. When you're the youngest in that ancient culture, truly you were nothing. He might have had the coat of many colors, but he couldn't bypass the system of God as far as blessing and birthright went to the older children. He was nothing. In the current circumstance, what God gave Joseph was impossible. 
And that's why his family interpreted the dream as arrogance and pride, because all they saw was impossibility. And what we're going to find is that Joseph's dream could not have happened if it was actually his dream. It was a God dream. Something supernatural had to step into the natural to make it come to pass. If it's a God dream, it will have to have the God factor. The mentality is this. If I do what's possible, God will step in and do what's impossible. If I do what's possible, God will step in and do what's impossible. The only thing God's called you to do is to do what you can do and then watch him step in and do what you cannot. But so many of us stop shy of stepping into a God dream because we see the impossible, but we don't even come to the end of what is possible. And so we step back and we see all of the possible and then the impossible. And God's saying, you've at least got to do what you can do and then watch me step in to do what you cannot do. Because God dreams should be God-sized. So let me ask you, what is your God dream? Do you have one? What's your God dream? What has God put in your heart? What's your purpose? And I want to be specific here because I know some of you are thinking, I don't really know. Here's what a God dream isn't. A God dream is not a position at work. It's not becoming a pro athlete. It's not getting a scholarship. It's not getting a degree. It's not being successful. A God dream is not having money. It's not having all those things. A God dream is this, okay? And in the midst of all of those things, a God dream says, I care more about who you are in the midst of those things and what you're going to do and how you're going to leverage those things for the kingdom of God. That some people say, well, your God dream is being a pastor. No, it's not. This is my job. What I do with this job determines my God dream. My God dream is how I leverage being a pastor. Your God dream is what you do in your business, who you are, how you leverage it for building the kingdom of God. Too many of us have intertwined the God dream and the American dream. And we think a God dream is, I got the promotion. Wow. Thank you, God. I finally stepped into your will. It's a part of his will. But what God is saying is you stepped into what will give you the platform for the God dream. It's not the God dream. It's the platform for the God dream. So many of us need to take the God dream to the next level. How are you using your position? Not to be annoying, but to be Jesus wherever you go. How are we leveraging it for the God dream? I vividly remember the first time God gave me a real dream in my life, a calling, a God dream. Um, it's interesting that on Friday night, I drove down to Rio Doso and spoke at our youth camp. And it didn't even hit me until last night when I was looking over my notes again for today that it's been exactly 20 years ago this month at the same camp, 20 years ago, I came down and responded to an altar call and God called me to full-time ministry and gave me a God dream. 20 years ago at a youth camp. This is why we put so much emphasis on these youth camps because God just gets a hold of teenagers and he got a hold of me at 17 years old. Now, on top of me uh, being called to be a pastor, I know my dad was a pastor, but that's not why I became a pastor. On top of that, God did call me to do that. I feel like that's my assignment. But on top of that, God started showing me and giving me the purpose behind it. 
this lifelong passion for teenagers, this lifelong passion for the next generation, this lifelong passion. The God dream is, can I look at the word of God and make it make sense and come alive for people no matter where they are on the spectrum of being an atheist all the way to a mature believer? And God started saying, that's your dream. Take people on the journey of God. Transform a city. Use, use what I've given you to build a church, to speak to people, to love on people individually. And as I was 17 years old, all of these things started flooding through my mind. And that was my first encounter with a God dream. What's your God dream? It can be epic or it can be, and I may not be. I've also had God dream moments where they weren't at an altar call. They were driving down the street on the way to dinner. And it didn't seem very significant at all in the moment, but a seed was planted in my mind and I was transformed forever. Another example of a God dream for me, I was in Dallas. I was going to Bible college and I was attending a church there my freshman year of college. And I'm sitting there and I knew that like kind of back then, the typical first step of ministry is you're a youth pastor, typically. And so I was like, well, that's the first step in. So I'll just be a youth pastor. I remember sitting in a normal church service. And, I, and all of a sudden, as the pastor's preaching, do you ever just zone off when the pastor's preaching? <laughs> Don't answer that because you're like, ah, it's a trick question. I just started zoning off. But it was a God moment. It was a God moment. Because all of a sudden, I started thinking and dreaming, and God started planting seeds in my heart about what youth ministry could be. A genuine passion for schools and a city and transforming teenagers' lives. And again, showing them so the, the word of God and how it can come alive in their lives. And that was the moment that youth ministry became more than a job. It became a God dream. A God dream. So when we look at the story of Joseph, it was huge. It was something he could not attain on his own. At those times when God gave me my God-sized dream, public speaking, was my greatest fear in life. I was dealing with a level of anxiety um, back then. If therapy wasn't a little, wasn't as taboo as it was back then, I would have been in therapy for it, counseling for it, debilitating anxiety. Public speaking was my greatest fear. So stepping into this was, I'm going to do what's possible, but God, you have to do what's impossible. I can't do this without you. So Joseph's dream was so big, even those closest to him didn't even give it a chance. How big? is your God dream. Number two, second characteristic is a God dream will face opposition. A God dream will face opposition. And some of you, the moment I said this, I can see the smirks on your faces because this is probably the most real point. All of them are true, but this is real because when you have a God dream, it is not just running through a field of daisies and everything's okay. And Satan bows down and people are like, this is great. We're completely supporting you in all your endeavors. Yeah, it doesn't happen. So a God dream will face opposition. A lot of times we get excited about the potential of a dream, though, yet we underestimate the price of the God dream. We get focused on the potential, but we underestimate the price. A dream that hasn't been tested is a dream that cannot be trusted. I talk to so many people, and sometimes we do this, and I talk to people that have done this because it's normal. We look around at other people we kind of know or know, and we say, I want to have a life one day that looks like theirs. We see people that have been married 50, 60 years, and we say, I, I want a marriage that lasts that long. 
I want kids when they get grown. I want, I want that picture of them, that marriage, that family. And although no one's perfect, here's the thing though. The real question isn't how can I have that? The real question is, I wonder how much pain and opposition they have had to endure to have a marriage like that, to have a family like that. Because where most people give up, the people that are following a God dream never let go. Never let go. The God dream, the God dream, endure the pain, endure the opposition. I I think most of Christianity, until we get to heaven, to be super honest with you, I think the anthem of life in this world, even as a believer, this might sound like bad news, but I think it's powerful. I think it's good news. I think the anthem of Christianity is this one word, endure, endure. Too many people step into a life with God and expect all of their problems to be fixed, all the bad to go away, everybody to be supportive. They expect every time people come, they come to church for no one to offend them. They expect this group of people to be perfect. And if they're not, they're going to another church and they're bouncing around from church to church because someone offended them. If there's one thing I can promise you about this church and every church, at some point, someone's going to hurt your feelings. Someone's going to offend you. Why? Because we're human and we're not Jesus. We just follow him. But you're going to face opposition and you're going to have pain when it comes to your God dream. If we underestimate the price, we'll never be able to fulfill the potential. Again, in Genesis 37, 8 and 10 through 11, it says, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Verse 10, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. There's three kinds of opposition. Write these down. Three kinds of opposition. The first kind, what we see in this story, is human opposition. Human opposition. And most of us have experienced this with a God dream. Even with a good dream, but especially with a God dream. I wish I could stand up here and tell you today that One of the differences between a good dream and a God dream is that people will be supportive of you with a God dream, but it's just not true. What you actually find is the dream is so big, like the story of Joseph, the dream is so big, people interpret the dream as arrogance and pride and want to bring you down a few notches because they themselves might be deflecting the God dream or haven't heard their God dream from God yet. I mentioned earlier, and I'm kind of intertwining my story through this, my God dream, and I've told this story before, but when I got to Bible college, again, my greatest fear was public speaking. One of my classes to become a pastor uh, was a, a class called Preaching Lab, uh, where that you went through a couple years of how to um, exegete scripture properly and what commentaries to look at and how to interpret it correctly and all this stuff. But then you had to go to the next step of where you had to preach it in front of people. And you would preach it, and not only would the professor grade you, but also the class would have index cards, and they would write their thoughts on a paper about it. And most of the time it was kind, but on this sermon of mine, when I had it, I got the index cards and I believe I was a junior in college and I got the index cards and I went back to my dorm room and I sat on my bed and I was going through these index cards and there were a few that were kind, but then I got to the meat of these cards and people, I wish I would have kept them to be honest with you. It would have been a cool keepsake, but this is what they said. They said, Dustin, we love you, but this is not the occupation you need to be going into. Public speaking is not your thing. Um, the anxiety shows too much, uh, really consider something else. Card after card after card. People saying, this is not for you. 
This is not for you. This is not for you. And I'm looking at this going, I'm a junior. I'm three years deep into this program training to be a pastor. I have not grown very much in my public speaking because I'm bound by fear. What do I do? What do I do? I remember calling my dad. I was sitting on the bottom bunk of my dorm and I called him. I was like, dad, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm awful. I'm awful. And he, and he just encouraged me saying, no, 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 no. If fear is the only thing, then fear can never be the thing that stops you from pursuing a God dream. It cannot stop you. So he's like, keep going, keep going. The first few years of me preaching, and some of you guys might've been a part of our young adult ministry, I would manuscript my sermon. I would be shaking when I was preaching and I would read it in front of people. And like, does anybody want to accept Jesus? They're like, no, I just want to leave. You know, I was just like, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading, it was awful. But what happened is the more and more I owned my weakness, the more and more God said, now there's room for me. Now there's room for me. But there was human opposition that came from everywhere, everywhere. The day I became youth pastor, it was announced at our old building. I was 22 years old. I was so fired up and excited. The previous youth pastor was my mentor. He was all for it. My dad was hiring me. The board was for it. And I walked up and they were like, and Dustin's going to be the next youth pastor. And there were people that stood up and were like this and just got out and walked out. And I was like, what's happening right now? Like, is that real? Is that, but that's what started happening. So let me tell you something. If that stuff is the type of things that are causing you to balk and to pause on your God dream, rest assured, those are signs most of the time that you need to keep moving forward because there will be human opposition. The second kind of opposition is circumstantial opposition. These are the things you can't control. You can't control the family you're born into. You can't control where you're from. You can't control how you're treated. You can't control other people's responses. These are the things you can't control. You can't control how much supernatural opposition there's going to be from the enemy. Because let me tell you, when it's a God dream, there is an entity that is not going to be happy about you pursuing a God dream. But circumstantial opposition is going to be there. It's going to be there. Don't be surprised by it. Mark it on your calendar. Number three, a God dream will also face you as opposition. A God dream will face you as opposition. You, most of the time, will be your greatest foe when it comes to a God dream. Through poor decisions, through an unwillingness to work through pride and insecurity or stubbornness, whatever it might be, you, me, I, most of the time, is the, I am the greatest opponent in my own life when it comes to the God dream he's given me. But we're not wired in our society to ever look at ourselves. Everything is someone else's fault. We point to the circumstantial opposition. We point to the human opposition. We point to Satan. And everything is the devil did this, and my parents did this, and my friends did that. And look at the family I was born into, and look at this, and look at that. All of these different things. And God's wanting you to stop pointing there and just do this. Me. What decisions are you making on Friday night, Saturday night, when you're alone on your phone? What decisions are you making with how you talk to your spouse or your kids? What decisions are you making? Because you will be the greatest opponent to the God dream in your life. And number three, the third characteristic of a God dream is a God dream will require you to dream again. A God dream will require you to dream 
Again, if you're someone in here today and the whole time I've been talking, you start thinking, well, this is for somebody younger. This is for someone else. Yeah, it's nice. This kind of fills me up a little bit today, but I've, I've gone past the God dream thing, either through age or I've made way too many mistakes. I want to prove you wrong right now because a God dream will require you to dream again because all of us will go through seasons of ups and downs and what we're going to see in Joseph's life. It will not be smooth. If there's one thing I can guarantee you, it's that. Following a God dream will not be smooth. You will find yourself at the bottom of figurative pits and wells and prisons and working for people you don't want to work for like Joseph and finding yourself in all these situations, wanting to give up on God, wanting all these things. And you think God's given up on me and, and it's gone. It's past. The dream was just a figment of my imagination, but a God dream will require you to stop in moments of wanting to give up in moments of thinking I've made too many mistakes. The darkness in my past is too big. What I did a few weeks ago is too big. Things are following me and haunting me. There's no way God is looking at me with my God dream like he's looking at that godly person or that godly person. Let me tell you something. That godly person has darkness following them. That godly person, they're godly, but they have mistakes in their past too. They're doubting God just like you. Joseph was doubting God. Jacob was a liar and a schemer. His father Isaac, his father Abraham, every person in the Bible God uses has a past and has doubted God. Every person. So today, what I want to tell you, your God dream is bigger than you, and that's why it requires you to dream again. Your God dream will, will impact your kids. Your God dream will impact your grandkids. Your God dream will impact your great grandkids. How you live out your marriage as part of that God dream will impact your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids. Your God dream is bigger than you and it requires you to see it in a selfless light. And the only way you can do that, like point number one, God has to be the main character. If you're the main character, it's going to be about you. But God says, it's time to dream again. If the dream God gave you when you were young feels like it's dried up and dead, no, 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 it's still breathing. It's just time for you to dream again and bring that God dream back to life with a little bit of faith today. Whatever God spoke to you is still alive. The possibilities are still there. They're still there. But it's time to dream again. Why is it time to dream again? When you look at the story of Joseph, all of the times he wanted to give up, but he didn't. What they could not have known while the story was playing out, but we know, looking at hindsight on the story, Joseph's brothers and his other brother Benjamin will one day be the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes is the tribe of Judah. There was a famine in the land at that time, remember. Joseph rises up into the ranks, second in command in Egypt. And he solves the problem for the famine or else nations were going to perish and die. The God dream for Joseph to become second in command in Egypt was not to teach his brothers a lesson. It was not to elevate a godly man. All those, those things happened. It was to save the future nation of Israel. And, this, and specifically the tribe that came from Judah was carrying the bloodline of Jesus. Joseph's obedience to hanging on and believing the God dream was God's plan to 
feed and sustain the person in Judah who would be the tribe of Judah, who generations after King David would come from and generations after Jesus would come from. So today we could have salvation because Jesus was born. He lived a perfect life and died on a cross and came back to life. But guess what? It goes all the way back to Genesis with Joseph not giving up. That's how big your God dreams are. You have no idea. You have no idea who's in your lifeline. You have no idea who's in your lineage, what what your great grandkids are going to be like, what your grandkids are going to be like. I heard someone say one time, when it comes to the call and dream of God, it may not happen in your lifetime, but it will happen in your lifeline. Make it bigger than you. It's time to dream again. It's time to dream again. So today, when you walk out of here, when you go to restaurants, wherever you go, if you're watching in Maui, wherever you go today or watching online, I want you to dream at a level where you walk into buildings, you walk into gatherings where people are saying there's something different about them. They've come alive and internally, and you know what they're actually saying is, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. You have a God dream. Don't give up. It's time to dream Again, I want to pray over all of you today that are here, all of you watching online and all of you in Maui today. I want this series to be a series that changes your life today. This series over the next six weeks, I want it to be something that alters you to step into a life of significance and purpose in your life. God's given you a dream, but you got to open up your heart to receive it. My challenge to you over the next few weeks as we go through this series, read the story in Genesis. Genesis 37 through 50. It's short, but it's amazing. And you will see the blueprint all the way back in the Old Testament on what it looks like to fulfill a God-sized dream. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I pray for every person here, every person watching online, and every person in Maui today, God. I pray that you would open up our hearts as we open up, that you would see our hearts. And God, we're believing today, we have faith today to receive God-sized dreams. God, there are massive problems in our world, our society, our cities, God. And those massive problems are gonna take God-sized dreams. When we look at what's going on in the world, the next phrase is we think it's impossible, but nothing is impossible with you. We just need God-sized dreams. We do what's possible. You do what's impossible. God, we may have come in here today believing we were not significant, but my prayer is we will leave today. We will leave today knowing we have a significant purpose and dream in our lives, God. Be with us, strengthen us, be with all of our families. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. How incredible was that message? So good. Man, that was awesome. One thing I love is he said, a good dream is what you choose, but a God dream chooses you. Man, that's so good. That was so awesome. Well, hey, uh, one more video we want to show you. We have a special invite. We have something incredible happening next week. So check out this screen. Special message from uh, our pastor, Pastor Brent. All right, church, we're inviting you to be here next weekend. We're going to have World Vision in the house with us. And as we talked about earlier this year on Vision Sunday, we are partnering with World Vision to make an impact in Tanzania. Today, we have coffee that we're purchasing from there. Uh, We're roasting those beans. You can buy bags, take it home, or you can buy the coffee here. All of it 
is to give you a taste of the place before you ever get to meet the people. Now, World Vision is coming in and we're gonna be talking about how we're starting the process of partnership to make that impact inside of Tanzania. So you do not wanna miss being here this next weekend as World Vision is here and we further this conversation, bring clarity and understanding, and hopefully, just hopefully, you are inspired to be a part of all we are doing in investing in Tanzania. Awesome. Well, as you know, uh, if you were here during our Vision Sunday, uh, Tanzania is one of our initiatives that we're pushing for. We want to get boots on the ground, eventually visit there. But right now, uh, you know, with everything going on, our start is coffee, right? We have our coffee beans that we're purchasing uh, directly from Tran uh, Tanzania, and we're roasting that here, and we're selling that to, you know, uh, to give back in any way we can. Well, World Vision is a nonprofit organization that we're partnering with, and they'll be coming in uh, next Sunday to kind of give a little a background on what we're going to be doing and how we're going to further that initiative with Tanzania. So it's going to be a great time. Like Pastor said, you definitely do not want to miss it. Bring your family, bring your friends, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great service. So other than that, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We hope you enjoyed today's service. Uh, have a great Sunday, and we'll see you all next week.